Hey there, I'm Daphna Chazen, and this is the Down to Earth PCOS Nutrition Podcast. On the show, we talk about managing PCOS using proven strategies, ditching diets for good, and balancing hormones naturally. Let's get to it. amazing guest on the show today, and I'm pretty sure you're going to love her. Her name is Courtney Miners, and she's not only a PCOS expert and registered dietitian, she's also a woman dealing with PCOS herself. Courtney and I met recently in person, in real life, which is something that I don't get to do too much anymore. So I get very excited when people that I see online on Instagram and everywhere else are, you know, I get to meet them in person and I get to see them at events. And so this was a PCOS Awareness Association event. It's called PCOS Con. And Courtney delivered a great presentation there about the best diet for PCOS and what that looks like. And she was just phenomenal. And so I wanted to have her here on the show to talk specifically about period problems. And so if you're someone who's struggling with long cycles, missing periods, spotting, short cycles, you're not sure what's going on. Every month, things look different as far as your period and menstrual cycle. Today, we're diving into all of that. We talked about hormones. We talked about nutrition, alcohol, supplements, lifestyle. So there's a ton of information in today's episode specifically related to period problems. And we talked about all the ways that you can manage PCOS and the treatment options that you can choose from that don't have anything to do with taking birth control, that are not medication dependent. And as you'll hear, Courtney's really passionate about that because when she was first diagnosed, she was only presented with birth control as the one and only solution for her PCOS symptoms. And now we know, and she knows that that is of course not the case. And you have a variety of different things that you could do. And we covered a lot of them today. So now's a good time to get comfy, grab a notepad, grab a little tea or water or whatever it is that you like to sip on. And let's get into my conversation with Courtney Miners. Hey, Courtney, how's it going? Hey, Daphna, I'm good. It's so good to be here with you. Yeah, you and I met not too long ago in New York for PCOS Con. And we kind of saw each other online here and there, but then it's so nice to meet in person. Yes. I think like we forgot what it's like to see a person in real life. I know I did (laughs) COVID. So uh, it was fun. You gave a killer presentation there. Oh, thank you. And you killed it in the panel. So you you (laughs) represented for the dietitian. So (laughs) yeah, that was kind of intense. So I was on a panel with a doctor who was really strict keto and carnivore. Very carnivore, very much against plants. It got a little heated. Yes. But you held your own. You you did really, really well. (laughs) I had to. I had to represent science, right? And nutritionists all over. So uh, Mm -hmm. it was a good time. And he was super respectful. So, you know, Mm -hmm. it's good to hear different opinions, different perspectives on this. He's a fertility specialist. So definitely a respected professional. But... Mm -hmm. That was, I think, a reminder that doctor, doctors shouldn't be talking nutrition, probably. Mm, no, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, anyone listening to us who has not been to PCOS Con, highly recommend. It was a great, great day. Yeah, it was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Megan, the, the founder, did a great job. And uh, they do an online version. So I know they go to c- certain U.S. cities, but they also do an online version always during PCOS Awareness Month. Right. And so PCOS 
Awareness Association is her organization's name. So definitely check it out if you haven't already. Yeah, it was a great time. Great way to connect with so many people from multiple disciplines. And it was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It was a well-rounded kind of day with, you know, mental health and nutrition. (laughs) And she had some vendors there like laser hair removal and a bunch of stuff. So really a great event. Well, Anyway, I'd love to hear a little bit about you and your story. Um, I know that you have PCOS as well. And Mm -hmm. so would you share a little bit about that? Of course, of course. So um, I'm Courtney. I am a registered dietitian, but also I have been living with PCOS for almost two decades now. Um, So I was diagnosed in my late teens, early 20s, and Kind of my story, similar to a lot of women, I had irregular periods as a teen um, and I had acne as a teen and mom took me to the doctor and lo and behold, they gave me birth control. Oh, yeah. shocker, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that helped the acne. I had regular periods with the birth control, but I noticed over the years, like it was affecting my mood. I noticed I was a bit more depressed. Um it just, it wasn't working for me. So I stopped the birth control on my own accord. And I noticed that my periods just did not return. So it was like one month and then two months and three months and four months. And I was like, mm, something's wrong. So I went to my primary care physician because obviously I knew this is not right. And honestly, I had a good experience with my doctor, which I know is very unique. Rare, yeah. And she was able to pick up on it right away. She drew bloods. Um, my testosterone was sky high at the time. Um, I had inflammatory type PCOS. So I had some inflammation going on as well. The irregular periods, she did the um, vaginal ultrasound with my uh, gynecologist. And I had that classic kind of pearl-like cysts on my ovaries as well. So she was able to diagnose me with PCOS at the time. And okay, that was great. I had a diagnosis. I knew what the issue was, but the next step was, well, what am I going to do about this? How am I going to get my period back? And so her only response was, okay, so we can put you back on the birth control to regulate your cycles. And I was like, hmm that just doesn't sit well with me. That was the reason why I came off of it because it didn't heal myself. Right. So at that point I was actually an undergrad. So my first degree is in biology, pre-medicine. So I was doing a lot of research at the time and I was like, you know what, I'm going to figure this out. And if you think about two decades ago, right, like this is pre-Instagram, pre-social media. I think Facebook had like just launched you know, so there were no kind of support groups. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing out there. So I really had to like dig deep and figure things out on my own. Um, So at that time I started doing research, looking at at supplements and things like inositol were popping up in the literature. So I was taking inositol probably like 15 years ago um, to help regulate my cycle. Um, And then I just started slowly. It took me quite a few years to kind of get things under control. Um, But I really just took the bull by the horns and 
just shifted my lifestyle to help support it. And it was part of the reason why I went into dietetics because I was like, you know what? I don't want to treat disease thinking about going the medical route. I want to help prevent, help treat with nutrition, with lifestyle. So at that point I started my master's degree, even before I finished my bachelor's. And I was just like, this is the path that I want to take. Um, so I shifted things with my lifestyle. I managed to get my period like within about six months. And then it started shortening my cycle every four months, three months to the point where now I have like this natural 30 day cycle plus or minus because no mm. one's perfect. Right. Yeah. Um, for the past like 15 plus years. So, you know, healing is there um, and you can do it without birth control. And I will say this disclaimer, I'm not against birth control. It just was not a good fit for me. Um, So, yeah, Yeah, because I was going to ask you how you feel about birth control now, looking back and knowing that for some women, it is an option. Really, it's really the only option to get relief. But it's definitely I think the way it's presented is the problem as opposed to using the birth control. Would you agree with that? Exactly. Because that was the only option. It was like, here's birth control. Come back when you want to get pregnant. Like that was literally it. And then for me, because I I've never struggled with my weight. But another thing that was on the slip of paper she gave me, just don't gain weight, underline, bold and highlighted. I was like what the heck? <laughs> it was yeah. just wild, just wild. But yeah, with the birth control, I think that's kind of the only option we're given. You know, I wasn't even offered the option to see a dietitian or to talk about lifestyle and how this impacts. And maybe my physician just didn't know or understand the connection. Um, but we know so much more now than we did two decades ago. So. Yeah. And for some women, they may use that temporarily. And I always say it's good, like almost like training wheels. Like once you're on the birth control and you're getting relief, it's not solving the hormonal issues, but it can be used as a period of time where you're changing your habits because changing habits is really hard. It takes time. Exactly. Exactly. It took me years, like I said, you know, to get to a place where it felt natural. Um, But yeah, it can be helpful and help bridge the gap. You know what I mean? I have clients who are on birth control, clients who are not on birth control, clients who are on metformin, those who are not. And I think it's important to really start with lifestyle because in my opinion, and I'm sure you agree, Daphna, like lifestyle changes should be number one, right? Regardless of what medications you're taking or not, lifestyle is so impactful for PCOS. Yeah. I'd love to know if you found for your own journey that the nutrition side was more helpful versus that, you know, other lifestyle factors like sleep or stress management? Did you see one or the other working better? Yeah, that that's a great, great question. So when I was diagnosed, my main symptoms were irregular cycles, cystic acne, which I had struggled with from a teen. Um, I also had hirsutism, so kind of that facial hair as well. Um, So those were kind of like my main struggles, main symptoms with PCOS. So my testosterone was high. I also had very elevated DHEAS. So that's another androgen that we produce, and that can obviously contribute to some of those symptoms. So with that elevation in that adrenal hormone, stress was a huge, huge piece 
of the healing um, for me that I didn't even recognize in the beginning. And like many women, I won't even say women with PCOS. I'll just say many women. We are driven. We take on extra projects. We're go, go, go. We're taking care of families. We're working. We're doing so much. And I was the type of person I would never say no. It was like, can you do this? Can you be here? Yes, 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 yes. And it was to the point where I would get up. I would work out to fit it in. I would pack all this on. And it just got to the point where it was like, I can't can't live like this, right? And I recognize now, looking back, a lot of the times when my symptoms were at their worst is when my life was more stressful. Mm-hmm. So noticing that connection now that took me quite some time. Um, I had to really like sit and think. And sometimes it means like setting boundaries. That was a big deal for me, something that I had to learn. You know, it's okay to say no. No is a powerful word. You know what I mean? And kind of like setting boundaries around my schedule, making time for myself, incorporating self-care. You know what I mean? And that was really, really helpful for me. Um, I also incorporated things like adaptogens that, you know, I hadn't really known about before. So I was drinking like Tulsi tea a decade ago when, you know, that helps to support our cortisol levels and our stress hormones. And that helps support my acne incredibly. So stress management was a big one. I never struggled with sleep. Um, Thank goodness. And there are moments in time where obviously when we're more stressed, it can impact sleep. But stress was a huge one for me that, you know, I work with a lot of my clients, you know, they'll come to me thinking, oh, this is just going to be about nutrition. Oh, no, no, no. Like (laughs) there's so much more to PCOS healing than just the nutrition bucket. Yeah. Okay. So I totally agree. It's like a puzzle, right? Like everyone's puzzle is a little different. Like you didn't struggle with sleep. So that was good. But you know, you have to find out the sources of stress, the sources of dysregulation, you know, whether that's your nervous system or your hormones, but I think everyone experiences stress, especially now. I don't know if you noticed it with clients, but in the past year, I've noticed people are really feeling more out of sorts than before with their schedules, with commitments, with just life. Totally. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think that, like you said, we don't prioritize ourselves. We prioritize everybody else. And Mm -hmm. even if you don't feel it right away, that's going to take a toll at some point. Exactly. Exactly. And the way I explain it to a lot of my clients, it's like you have kind of this bucket of how much stress you can handle. Right. And We take it on, take it on, take it on, take it on. And at some point that bucket is going to overflow. And it's when that bucket overflows is when it impacts our adrenal hormones and then it worsens our symptoms. And even for me, like in the past year, I had a lot more family stress and guess what happened? My acne flared up just like that. But now I have the tools to know, okay, I'm not going to let this go on for months and months now I need to prioritize myself a bit more, really structure self-care in there, add in things like adaptogens, support my body. And then I was able to clear my skin pretty quickly. So yeah, I love that visual of the bucket. Mm-hmm. You're right. Like when well, you may not notice it while it's half full, full but it's going right. to overflow. Right. Exactly. I love that. Let's dive deeper into period problems specifically. So you mentioned irregular cycles. So that could mean 
long cycles, right? Going more. So actually, let's take a step back. Let's talk a little bit about what a healthy period is, what a healthy cycle is. Maybe we can start there. Yeah. So a healthy cycle can be anywhere from about 21 to about 35 days in that range. I think And this happened to me just last week, Daphna, I was at my endocrinologist because I go every year for my PCOS, right? Um, And she's like, oh, yeah, you know, I know your cycles are regular. They're not 28 days. And I'm like, "Eh, that's not true. (laughs) You know, so I want everybody to know that it doesn't have to be exactly 28 days in order for it to be, quote unquote, normal, right? It can flux. So anywhere from that 21 to 35 days. Now, with irregular cycles, it can mean that you are going beyond that 35 days, which is what I struggled with. I, in the beginning, only had like two or three cycles every year, right? Which is not healthy. Um, In addition, sometimes people have longer actual periods, right? So they'll bleed beyond seven days. It might be 14, 21 days of bleeding throughout the cycle. Um, It could be spotting kind of mid cycle as well. So each person can have irregular cycles and that look very, very different for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And can you talk a little bit about specifically the period problems that you mentioned? So spotting, maybe long cycles, which generally, depending how long this cycle is, but that generally means there's no ovulation, right? Exactly. Exactly. And so what are some of the things that are happening under the surface that bring about those different period problems. Yeah. And this is important piece to understand because in order to regulate the cycles, it's important to understand what's causing the irregular cycles. Right. And like Daphna mentioned, not ovulating is one of those primary reasons as to why we're having irregular cycles. So what can cause and ovulation or lack of ovulation. So it can be multiple reasons. So things like insulin resistance, right, which is a primary driver and a very common one for PCOS. So with insulin resistance, it can impact and kind of down um, regulate or irregulate testosterone levels. And when we have elevated testosterone levels, that can contribute to irregular cycles and and ovulation. Um, For me, I had elevated DHEAS levels. I also had elevated prolactin. So both those can contribute to regular cycles. Um, So those are just a couple things that can contribute to anovulation. So once you understand what is driving the anovulation, that's where you can put your emphasis and your effort through lifestyle and through nutrition to help support lowering testosterone, to help support regulating your blood sugars and insulin levels, to help support lowering prolactin or your adrenal hormones. Um, All of that can help with regulating the cycles and making sure that you're ovulating. What about spotting? What do you generally see a cause for spotting? Because I hear a lot of women who do struggle with that. What are some of the things that they need to know? Totally. So this can occur again, it goes back to hormones, right? So sometimes having low progesterone or higher levels of estrogen, um, where some people are more estrogen dominant, they can experience longer kind of bleeding or spotting in between. So those are other causes of anovulation, that irregular spotting. So it's really important that you get a full hormone panel 
tested, right? Because you're not going to understand what's the cause of the irregular cycle, the spotting, the longer periods until you get those panels done. Um, And working with a provider, right? Someone like Daphne, like myself, who understands the connection and can help you identify how to treat each of those those reasons. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, So when someone has all of the above, right? Sometimes people will have a long cycle, then a little bit of spotting, then a heavy bleed. What would you say is the first step? Would you say going to get those labs done and see what's going on with the hormones would be a good first step? Definitely. I think blood work is very helpful. Um, Are there things you can do regardless of having blood work? Definitely. But if you have access you have insurance, you have a physician, you're able to get the blood work, then I think that's a great first step. Um, Even if your cycles are regular, because a lot of times, and this has happened to me, having gone to doctors, they're like, okay, you have to get your blood work done on day one to three of your cycle, and you don't even know when it's coming next, right? So, and then they're telling you to wait, 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 right? But sometimes you can get blood work done even before you're regulating your cycles. I think that's really important to know and advocating for yourself to the doctor, please, 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 can I get this blood work done? So things like a hormone panel, right? Where we're looking at testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, those adrenal hormones like DHEAS that I had talked about, also prolactin, right? Making sure you get that full hormone panel, then also making sure that you're looking at blood sugar regulation. So that can be through a fasting insulin level, which again, these are things we have to advocate for because as a person living with PCOS, it's not one of the first tests a doctor is going to do. So you do have to add for that. Um, Also like a chem panel or chemistry panel um, where that'll look at your fasting blood sugar as well as our liver enzymes, right? Because we're at higher risk for fatty liver. Um, Also looking at things like nutrient levels. That's important for PCOS as well. So things like vitamin D, B12, folate, right? Your iron panel, um, all of that should be taken into consideration when we're thinking about irregular cycles and PCOS, just to name a few. Yeah. And the good thing when you're talking about someone not knowing when you're when their day one or three of the cycle is, a lot of these things are not dependent on your cycle. So you can get your insulin levels tested. You can get your testosterone um, tested, right? None of those things change. Your sex hormones like estrogen, progesterone, yeah, they're going to you know be fluctuating, but the other things can still be tested, even if you have no idea what phase of your cycle you're in. Exactly. Um, and definitely making sure you advocate for yourself to get those done. Because I know I've been gaslit by doctors. Yeah. Where like, wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I hear the opposite too, where women go to the doctor and they just have their blood tested on a random day. And then the levels are all off because they didn't time the test properly. That so, too. Yeah. yeah. So let's just recap for people. When is a good time? If someone is getting, say, a 35 day cycle, which is normal, mm-hmm. they want to test their levels. When should that be done? Yes. So if, like you said, if we're talking insulin, thyroid, testosterone, that could be done whenever. Anytime. Yeah. But on day one to three of the cycle. So what does that mean? So day one to three of your bleed, right? Mm -hmm. So the first day of your bleed is day one of your cycle. Um, Anywhere in between there is when you want to get it done. Okay. So ladies, tell your doctor if they don't know, if they just tell you to come whenever you're ready, Yes. No, you want to do that on a specific date, 
in your cycle in order to get the most accurate results. Exactly. Exactly. Let's talk nutrition. Our thing. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I would actually, yeah, I, I would actually start with things to limit or avoid, which is not uh-huh. common. I don't usually do this, Yeah, <laughs> but I do want to talk a little bit about any foods that you think worsen PCOS in general and period problems in particular. Yeah. So, and this is hmm, something I struggled with in the beginning because I had those cravings. That was another symptom that I struggled with in the beginning where you would eat a meal and then you'd be like scouring the pantry, the fridge, like, oh, what else can I get? You know, it's and it's just like this drive. Right. And we tend to go to more like sweets and refined carbohydrates. Do you know what I mean? Because of kind of that satiating feeling that we get from it. So those are actually foods, right? High sugar, right? Those high palatable foods, refined carbohydrates. And when I say refined carbs, I'm talking about things made from white flowers, um, things, you know, that have high sugar content, very low fiber, low nutrient, right? All the things that when you walk down that snack aisle that you're seeing to the right of you, to the left of you, those chips, those pretzels, crackers, right? All those things crunchy, salty, and those sweet things. So again, it's not to say never, ever, ever, right? But if you're eating those on a regular basis, those can worsen symptoms, right? And the reason why with the lack of fiber and lack of nutrients, right? It can cause blood sugar dysregulation. It's not going to help fill up the nutrient buckets, the B12, the folate, the iron, right? So those foods should be more of like, once in a while type foods. So even cereals, if we're talking about like cream of wheat or special K, which is a really popular one, things made from white flour, right? We definitely want to limit and minimize. Okay. Yeah. And then also sugars, right? So sweetened beverages, that's another one. Yes. Um, a lot of people drink sodas and juices and all these things. Um, and I know for me, like, because my... Um, background. I'm originally from Bermuda. So I'm an island girl and a lot of like Caribbean people, like they do a lot of natural juices and things like this and blends. And those, while they are quote unquote natural, right. (laughs) It's important to know that it's still just straight sugar, fruit sugar, fructose, but still straight sugar. So those can still cause blood sugar dysregulation. They can still worsen insulin resistance and then worsen things like testosterone um, and our symptoms, right? So- Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because a lot of times people confuse those more healthy halo type beverages, even Mm -hmm. if it's a cold pressed juice or a really trendy Starbucks drink or whatever, maybe like those things are not soda. But mm-hmm. they're st- they could still have the same, if not more, grams of sugar mm-hmm. than yeah. soda. So, what would you say, like, to someone who loves those things? Like, how do you keep the moderation aspect of it? Have some joy from these things because they are delicious, right? We want to, and like you said, for you, it's a cultural thing, and it's something that you grew up with, maybe, or it's you know, it's so food is very personal. It's very emotional for a lot of people. Maybe some of these things are sentimental in a way. What yeah. would you say about that? Yeah, and you know, I work with clients who 
fall into these areas where they are soda drinkers or they are juice drinkers or they love that Starbucks run. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think it's like it's very individualized on where your comfort level is. Right. So if someone's drinking, I don't know, a bottle of soda every single day. OK, maybe we can think about changing the size. Right. So maybe instead of a 20 ounce, we're dropping down to an eight ounce or if it's something you're drinking three times a week, maybe it can be like a once a week mm-hmm. place to start. Or some people are just comfortable looking at alternatives, right? So maybe instead of a soda, something like a sparkling water where you're yeah. getting some bubbles and fizz and carbonation without the sugar. So it's all about where your comfort level lies. And even at places like Starbucks or Dunkin', right? You know, changing how you make the drink. Maybe instead of like four pumps of right. Or maybe you just do one, you know, um, so yeah. little changes like that can make a huge difference um, yeah. in the symptoms. Yeah, I totally agree. This is exactly what I always tell clients. This is mo- what moderation is. I know it's the word everyone hates. It's kind of yeah. like, oh, moderation. But, yeah. I, <laughs> but it's so much better and more comfortable to live in that middle ground than being mm-hmm. black or white, right? Mm-hmm. Than being all or nothing. And yeah. you get to enjoy your things. You don't feel deprived, but you modify it. You become smart about it. Exactly. Exactly. And even like I mentioned, I think in my talk at PCOS Con, like my mom makes an incredible apple pie that I absolutely love. And it is made with all the sugar, all the white flour. Yeah. And it's absolutely delicious, you know. Yeah. But is it something that I would ask her to make every single week for me? No. Would I eat it every day? Probably not because I'm probably not going to feel good eating it every single day. Right. I might get bloated or low energy or feel that blood sugar dysregulation. So it's something I joy or enjoy, sorry, around the holidays. I'll eat it. Right. I may not eat it by itself, like for a meal, you know, because I think it's important to note that how we eat foods right, is important for blood sugar regulation as well as our hormones and symptoms too. So pairing it after a meal, all those sorts of things where I get to enjoy it, enjoy the time with my family and not feel guilty, right? Because I think a lot of times people feel guilt around eating these foods. Foods are put in these boxes, bad, good. And, you know, one thing I tell people all the time, I'm like, if you didn't kill anybody for the food, if you didn't steal the food, there is no reason to feel guilty about eating or drinking anything. Yep. And so funny because I say that and I also say, yeah. you know, it's not a cheat meal unless you kiss the food, right? Exactly. Like <laughs> I love that. Did you actually cheat with the food? No. Right. You're fine. You're fine. Exactly. Um, okay. So we talked about refined carbs. We talked about sugar, not limiting, mm-hmm. regulating your intake, pairing them, having like some strategy around it if you want to keep those foods. Anything else? What about alcohol? How do you feel about that? Yeah. So alcohol, I personally used to drink back in the day because obviously we're all young at some point. Right. (laughs) Um, But it all comes down to how you're using the alcohol. I'm not a flat out. No, never. And that's kind of my philosophy with all things around nutrition. It's never a no, never. Um, But with alcohol, you want to kind of get into how much you're drinking, how often you're drinking and how it makes you feel. Those are really important questions. So the how it makes you feel. Sometimes we find with the alcohol that it can 
disrupt and impact our sleep, right? So if you're finding that, right, that you feel lethargic the next day, that you have this dysregulated sleep, you know, it's probably not something you should be drinking on a regular basis, right? And I think we have to remember that alcohol is a toxin, right? And as a toxin, our body naturally wants to clear it out of our body, right? So if we're drinking alcohol on a regular basis, and we have high estrogen, high testosterone, all of these hormones that our body wants to clear out, yep. right? And you're telling the body to clear the alcohol, it's going to clear the alcohol first because that is the toxin, right? And so all of those other hormones will get reabsorbed and it can worsen symptoms, right? Even though you may not think about that connection. So yeah, I always- especially the periods, especially the yeah. cycles. Totally, totally. Right. So it's really important to think about how often you're drinking. Is this every night? Am I having a bottle of wine or half a bottle of wine? Or am I just drinking on special occasions? And then thinking about the types of alcohol we're drinking. Are we drinking that big pina colada full of sugar? Right. Or are we just having four ounces of a dry white wine? Right. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a big difference between how your body handles that. Um, so it's not a no, but you want to look at how your body feels, right? How your symptoms are being impacted and then kind of reducing the frequency and looking at the types of alcohol that we can drink. Yes. I love that. And especially for those listening who have some symptoms of estrogen dominance, mm-hmm. you know, PMS and a lot of uh, inflammation and yeah. all of that, you know, those are things that can be majorly impacted by alcohol because alcohol does raise estrogen levels. And so thinking about that and how you want to feel and what is, you know, what is the role of alcohol in your life? How important is it really? And how is it impacting you? And especially now coming on the holidays, I think it's a good time Mm -hmm. to evaluate our all everyone's relationship with alcohol. So do you not drink at all now? Honestly, it's probably like every three months or so so like okay. I was in New York obviously I had a yeah well but I don't know when I'll have one again maybe the holidays but yeah it goes back to me like uh, how I feel the next day yes. like you notice I feel tired I'm not moving as quickly like it does impact my energy um yeah yeah, yeah. I just turned 41 and let me tell you like this shit's not pretty. Like it's, <laughs> when I drink, if I drink alcohol, even half a glass of wine, yeah. it totally hits differently than 20 years ago. Oh, oh my God. Gosh. <laughs> so, it's not worth it. <laughs> it's just like so shocking, but it's, yeah. it's what it is. It's what it exactly. is. Our body's not the same. So not at all. <laughs> all right. Let's move into talking about what to do, what to eat. What are some good habits as far as period uh, and cycle regulation? And yeah. what is maybe we'll go through some of your top recommendations as far as food and then um, hopefully talk a little bit. You mentioned adaptogens. So maybe talk about herbs and supplements a little bit, too. Totally, totally. So if we have irregular cycles, I think The first place to start, regardless of what the reason is, right, whether it's high estrogen, high testosterone, the first place to start is definitely how you balance 
your plate or what we call like the plate method. Um, and this is really important because it helps to regulate blood sugars. It helps to support insulin sensitivity, which like we said, insulin resistance is one of the main drivers for many people, regardless of your body size um, when you have PCOS. So what that looks like, right, is incorporating some protein, incorporating some healthy fats and incorporating some good fibrous rich foods at every single meal and hopefully every snack too. Um, so proteins that I like to recommend for PCOS, and this can look different for everyone, it might be things like fatty fish. So things like salmon or sardines or tuna, it could be lean proteins, things like chicken or turkey, um, even beef, you know, once in a while, that's totally fine. A lot of people here, social media, don't eat beef, don't do this, don't eat soy, but also tofu or edamame yes. can be great sources um, of protein for PCOS. So incorporating a protein, whether it's eggs, you know, that's another option um, and eat the whole egg, right? Unless you yes. don't eat it, you know what I mean? But if you enjoy it, eat it. That yolk is rich in nutrients, things like choline and B vitamins, all of which can help support regulating your cycle, right? So picking a protein of your choosing um, and then healthy fats, they are really, really important for regulating cycles. Our ovaries, our hormones love some good healthy fats, right? So things like avocado or guacamole, olives or olive oil, hummus, tahini, right? Mm -hmm. Just nuts and seeds and flax and chia, so many different options out there for healthy fats. Um, and then when we talk fiber, right, obviously, if you're looking on a label, you can see dietary fiber on certain products, but it's also found in foods that don't have labels. So mostly our fruits, our vegetables, things like legumes, black beans, kidney beans, chickpeas, right? All of those are rich in fiber, also whole grains. So things like quinoa or brown rice or wild rice. Uh, sweet potatoes, regular potatoes, all of those have tons of fiber. Um, so trying to select a protein of your choosing, what you enjoy, some healthy fats that you enjoy, and adding some good fiber. And I really like to fill up on those non-starchy vegetables because I get more bang for my buck. Um, yes. So things like your dark leafy greens, right? So kale and Swiss chard, um, kalaloo, um, spinach, right? All those things are rich in fiber. Um, and then any vegetable of your choosing, right? I think people, we throw out these like superfoods, right? Oh, eat kale, eat this. But if you don't like it, don't eat it, right? There's always another vegetable out there that I'm sure you enjoy that will still give you some benefits for your PCOS. So protein, fat, and fiber to kind of build that balanced meal. And that's in every meal, ideally, and also oh, snacks. Ideally, ideally. Okay. So yeah. I hear a lot about food boredom. People are like, I'm repeating the same things. I'm oh, eating no. only a sweet potato. Like, mm -hmm. what is up? What are my options here? How do you get clients to stay excited about meal and have variety? Yeah, yeah, I love that. And I even have like clients who just don't, they come to me and they don't like vegetables. They don't eat vegetables, you know? Yeah. And I, I get it. You know, some of us were raised just like meat and potatoes and and that's okay. Yes. Um, but I look at like, how can we cook the vegetable or prepare the vegetable in a way that keeps it exciting, right? It does not have to be boiled Brussels sprouts. Right. 
you know, because it just yeah. sounds awful, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if you can take those Brussels sprouts, maybe shave them, throw some olive oil and garlic, roast them so they're crispy, maybe put a little glaze on top. You know, now you have a veggie that actually tastes enjoyable, right? Yeah. Um, or throwing veggies into the air fryer, getting them crispy. Changing the texture yes. um, and also using herbs and spices. Herbs and spices are so underrated and they are loaded with antioxidants. And antioxidants are really important for lowering inflammation. Lowering inflammation can help support regular cycles, right? So um, herbs and spices can act, can add, sorry, a ton of flavor but a ton of nutrition to help support your body. So using things like turmeric, if you're roasting vegetables or cumin has a lot of flavor and a lot of antioxidants. I love to add fresh herbs like chopped cilantro, parsley, right? Basil, all those things add a ton of flavor. So you don't have a boring potato, right? Now you have a lot of flavor and a lot of nutrition. Okay, great. Can you talk a little bit about timing of meals and how to set a schedule as far as eating that you've seen work well for people? Totally, totally. So I think this lends itself to also like intermittent fasting, because I think that's like a big one that we hear on social media. Do we avoid it? Do we do it? Like what, what should we do? Right. So when it comes to the timing of meals or when we eat throughout the day, um, what I see in practice, because a lot of my clients come to me having done intermittent fasting and I ask them, well, how do you feel? And a lot of the comments are I'm craving throughout the day. I have low energy, my digestion's off. Right. So what I recommend is definitely eating breakfast. Um, I know we all hear it's the most important meal of the day. I honestly think it is. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. If I don't eat breakfast, um, I can't. Oh, it. it throws off the whole day. <laughs> yeah. And I think a lot of people skip breakfast when they're inter- intermittent fasting. That's yeah. the one meal everybody glazes over and just moves to lunch. Exactly. Exactly. So they do that time restricted eating. Sometimes it's like 12 PM to 8 PM. Yeah usually that latter half of the day. Um, So having breakfast, ideally within the first 30, 60 minutes of waking up um, and then trying not to go longer than four, five hours without eating until your head hits the pillow is what I encourage my clients to do. And I find that's where people feel their best, right? Our blood sugars are much more stable. Our energy is lifted. We have less cravings because we're actually fueling our body in a way that it needs and requires. And that helps to support obviously regulating cycles because we're not stripping our body of nutrition. Because I think a lot of the times with the time-restricted feeding, right? When you go these long hours without eating, it's perceived by the body as a form of stress, right? And I know we talked about stress in the beginning as like emotional stress, but stress can also be restriction from food or too low in calories. All of that, the body perceives as stress. And when the body is stressed, it's not going to prioritize reproduction. It is not going to prioritize your cycles. So it can worsen um, those cycles and make them a little more irregular. So definitely having breakfast. That's one thing you can take away from this. (laughs) and try not to go too long without eating. Um, yeah. Yeah. And everything you said is so doable. Yeah. 
you know, yeah. everybody, anybody could do that. Right. And so, exactly. and even if you're not perfect about it, you know, you get busy, you forget to eat, you yeah. are not prepared, whatever it may be, just keep going the next meal, just make your best choice at the next meal. And that way you're not spiraling. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Not, you know, finding yourself a month or two in and it's yeah. been so erratic and you're feeling run down and your cycles MIA and all of that. Exactly. Exactly. And I think like breakfast, you know, people envision, oh, I'm going to make this omelet and, you know, serve myself some toast and, <laughs> you know, okay, that sounds great, but maybe you don't have time for that. It could be as simple as like some cottage cheese you throw some flax and pumpkin seeds and pineapple on top and there you go. You're at the door. Yeah. 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 Totally. Mm-hmm. What about supplements? You mentioned inositol and you mentioned Tulsi. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe share a few that you like and you see uh, to be really effective for fertility specifically and regulating yeah. cycles. Yeah. So the inositols, basically that's kind of like a B vitamin um, that it's also a sugar molecule too, but the inositols are one of the most studied supplements when it comes to PCOS. So if you go to your physician and you ask them about supplements and they say, oh, there's you know, there's tons of research and I would encourage you to go to your doctor with research to show them that they're it does yes. exist um, because you will be told like, oh, no, no, there's yeah, but there's a right. lot of research out there. Um, so the nozzletals, what we found in the research is that oftentimes people with PCOS have lower levels of these two types of uh, inositols, the myo-inositol and dechiro-inositol. So by supplementing with those, we found that it can help improve egg quality. It can help restore ovulation. It can help lower androgens like testosterone, can help support insulin sensitivity. I found it was incredible for cravings. Like it just quieted the noise um, in my mind. So that was super helpful. Um, and for me, it helped to restore regular cycles. So the analysis are great. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure you've seen the research where it's been compared to metformin. Ah, Exactly. Yeah. Studies do show it works just as well, if not better than metformin and doesn't have Mm -hmm. the digestive side effects. So that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. So I think a lot of the times when we go to the doctor, those are the options we're given metformin birth control. Yes. And you have so many more options out there without side effects, you know? Um, So the nozzletols are great. um, And it's usually something that, you know, you take twice a day um, to help support your cycles. I also found omega-3 in supplement form to be very helpful. Um, even if you eat fatty fish, so things like sardines or tuna or salmon, it's hard to get that therapeutic dose of ECA and DHA on a regular basis to support ovulation. So I would say that was a huge game changer personally, and that I see in practice too, um, with a good quality omega-3. So what does that mean? That means 
similar to like fish oil, right, is what we're talking about in supplement form. Um, and with omega-3, there's lots of options out there. You might see like flax oil supplements. You might see like algae-based, but it's really important if you can and if it aligns, you know, with you to do a fish oil because you get exposed to EPA and DHA, which are two powerful omega-3. And when we use like flax oil or even like chia seeds, things like that, that's more of the ALA type omega-3, which our body, it absorbs, but it's not as bioavailable as the EPA Mm -hmm. HA, right? So getting a fish oil um, that's a good quality, anywhere from a thousand to 4,000 milligrams of omega-3, not the fish oil, right? Of the omega-3 is really powerful to help support ovulation. Um, so yeah. that is very helpful. Um, vitamin D is another important one. I would say, I don't know about you, Daphna, but a hundred percent of my clients who come to me with PCOS are deficient in vitamin D. Yes. I don't think I'm one <laughs> and myself included. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And it's really important to remember that vitamin D, while it's a vitamin, it's also a hormone, right? So that's an important level to get checked in your blood first. Um, it doesn't depend on where you are in your cycle. You can get that tested fasting, non-fasting. It really doesn't matter. Um, and then making sure that you're supplementing to support that. Low vitamin D levels are associated associated, sorry, with blood, insulin resistance, blood sugar dysregulation. So it can help support that. It can help support ovulation. So vitamin D is critical um, for PCOS. So those three, I would say, are like my tops. Um, yes comes to supplements. Yeah. Amazing. I love all three of those. You're right. Like there's so many symptoms. There's so much that's going on with PCOS that's dependent on those three and can be improved. And, you know, it can be pricey to use supplements, but honestly, some of the, you know, when you look at the benefit of them and when you spread it out, a lot of the supplements come in 90 day supply. So when you actually do the math, I think it could be really an affordable, and there are a lot of brands and a lot of options, especially with the omega-3 and vitamin D. So it can fit into any budget. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, What about adaptogen? So you mentioned Tulsi, which I love, and Mm -hmm. that's called uh, also holy basil. Um, Can you talk a little bit about what adaptogens are for anyone listening who is not sure? Sure, sure. So adaptogens are plants. um, And a lot of these adaptogens have been used for thousands of years, like in Chinese medicine. So these aren't anything new, um, but these plants have critical roles in helping to support our bodies naturally through stress. So it helps to support the HPA axis, right? So it helps to support um, our body through stress, supporting cortisol levels. And as a result, that helps to support symptoms around PCOS because we know stress is a primary driver of those symptoms. Um, And for me with the Tulsi, you know, Tulsi or holy basil, you can get in a supplement form, but I love to take it as a tea form Mm because it's very mild, it's tasty, um, and it's very like relaxing. I love a good tea time. That's me too. Oh my God. (laughs) It's the best. Um, Yeah. So Tulsi is definitely one of them. And Tulsi is great because not only is it an adaptogen and helps to support stress, it can also be very antibacterial, antifungal, right? So it's great for skin and 
just like side story, when I drink Tulsi tea regularly, that's where I get the most compliments on my skin. Oh I don't God, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. But that's where I find everybody's like, you're glowing. And I'm like, it's the Tulsi. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Instead of alcohol, I'm going to start drinking Tulsi tea. That's the yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, any others that you like? Yeah. So ashwagandha is another one um, that helps to support stress as well. I found that very helpful for me. Um, so those are two of like my top adaptogens that I like to okay. use. Yeah. You mentioned antibacterial and antimicrobial functions. <laughs> what about gut health? Do you touch on gut health? You work with people on that? Totally, totally. So, and can that impact the cycle? I'd love for you to sh- like draw the line between yeah. gut health and menstrual health. Yeah. So, I think it's important to know that when it comes to gut health, right? Um, a lot of the times with PCOS, some things that are driving our symptoms, not only insulin resistance, but inflammation. And that can show up in our gut health, right? Where a lot of people struggle with constipation, sometimes diarrhea, reflux is another common one, right? So by supporting our gut health, right, we're supporting inflammation, we're lowering that, which will help support uh, regulating cycles and all the symptoms that come along with that. So when it comes to gut health, an easy one is definitely like we talked about the plate method, making sure we get all those components, particularly fiber, right? So I would say most people are not eating enough fiber and that's driving a lot of the symptoms. Um, So we definitely want more fiber in our lives. Fiber is the good F word, right? And we get that through a lot of our plants. And also plant diversity is really important for our gut health, right? So what the studies are showing is trying to get exposure to like 30 different plants um, each week can really help support the the good bacteria in our gut, right? So the good bacteria in our gut help to lower inflammation. It helps to support that healthy gut microbiome. So that may sound unattainable to some, but it's actually quite simple, right? As long as you're trying to get a couple different colors on your plate, that's an easy way to get more plant diversity to help support your gut microbiome. So it could Mm -hmm. be tomatoes and spinach in your omelet in the morning. It could be carrot sticks and celery dipped in ranch with your lunch. It could be like broccoli and eggplant with dinner, right? And you're already getting exposed to six different plants just in one day, right? So quite simple, but trying to focus on the color method Two colors is an easy way to get more plant diversity. And then I like to focus on prebiotics. So prebiotic rich foods are foods that actually help to feed the good bacteria in our gut, right? And they have certain fibers that when we break them down, they actually support, you know, those good bacteria kind of keeping them in the gut. So things like apples, things like asparagus, things like garlic, onions, right? Even fermented foods can give us more probiotics um, like kimchi and sauerkraut. So working those foods in on a regular basis can help support the gut microbiome, can help lower inflammation and support all of those symptoms around PCOS. But that's Courtney, you're amazing. You're amazing. (laughs) (laughs) You're such a wealth of knowledge, really. Like, I think all the strategies, everything that you've shared so far is so practical and doable and hugely, hugely impactful. I mean, this is exactly what we do, you know, in your programs, in my programs, where we help people 
get regular periods, ovulate on a consistent basis, reduce your their PCOS symptoms. I mean, this is where it's at really. It's, it's not easy, but it's pretty simple. It is. It is. It's doable. And I think like my number one thing, no matter what you start, always start from a place of enjoyment. Do you know what I mean? Like don't think of this as something I have to do, but more honoring your body with something that you enjoy. Like always start from that place because this is a chronic disease, right? It's not something that is going to go away tomorrow. It's something we're living with day to day. So if you can find enjoyment, if you can do things that you love that support your body, that's where it's going to be super simple long-term. Amen. I totally agree with that. Yeah. (laughs) I'd love for us to wrap up. And I think what you just shared is a perfect way to kind of leave everyone off with a positive message. Mm -hmm. But I do want to ask you a couple rapid fire questions just for fun and then have you share where people can find you. Is that okay? Yeah, I love it. (laughs) All right. So we have four rapid fire questions, whatever comes to mind. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Your number one favorite meal right now. Ooh, okay. Love salmon right now. Love asparagus and love butternut squash. Like that's like... Yeah, that's that's every day right now. (laughs) I know. What do you season it with? How do you make it? So the asparagus, I actually do just like garlic, olive oil, roast them in the oven. The butternut squash, I like to put like cumin and turmeric, roast that in the oven. And the salmon right now, I'm just loving some pesto on it. Oh, yeah. (sighs) So good. That's the best. All right. I'm coming over. I'm coming over. Yes. Okay. (laughs) If you weren't an amazing dietitian, what would you be? Your occupation. Yeah. So weirdly enough, I wanted to be, obviously I always wanted to be a doctor, but I also wanted to be a translator and work for the UN. No way. I know. Like that, those were like my two (laughs) career choices. Very different. That's a cool one. Yeah. Yeah. I love to travel. So yeah. Okay. I love that one. Mm -hmm. If you could go to dinner with any famous figure, alive or not, who would it be? Oh my gosh, this is a tough one. I would say Rosa Parks. Okay. Yeah. Solid choice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Story. (laughs) Okay. Great. And then my last one is: What is one healthy habit that you think think is totally underrated? It's not talked about enough. Oh boy, definitely. I know we talked a lot about it today, but to me, stress management. Yeah. It's a huge, huge one that took a long Yeah. Yeah. Mental health. And especially with PCOS, we're at higher risk for depression, anxiety, so many of these things. So really starting there is so important. Yes. Okay. I love everything you mentioned today. Where can my listeners find you, work with you, learn more about what you do? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm very active on Instagram. So I'm at PCOS.nutritionist.courtney. Um, I do have some free resources on my link in my bio, free meal plan there um, where you can get connected with me. Um, I also offer um, one-to-one uh, PCOS program. It's called Power with PCOS. 
It's a three-month program to help you kind of get a handle on your symptoms um, where you work with me. So feel free to follow, like, enjoy everything on my page. And I love connecting with my followers too. So that's awesome. I'll link to everything in the show notes so people can find it easily. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. This was great. I love talking with you. Like we can keep going for hours. I know, right? It went by so fast. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you again. Thank you, Daphna. 